So this past weekend, or these past two days, we as a church had a Holy Spirit retreat, and it was off the hook. Woo! Yeah. It was surprising. I think 70 adults showed up, which is a big chunk, chunk of the church. That's, that's a lot of people. Uh, so we showed up. Uh, we had some teaching on the Holy Spirit, and most importantly, we, we, we filled up, and we got, we got a bit more of the Holy Spirit. So I wanted to invite uh, Albert Joy. I like to call him Uncle Al. Uh, just to share a little 90-second testimony. So I just got asked this morning, so I'm just kind of still gathering my thoughts, but I'll keep it short. I am probably one of the younger believers. Um, you know, I um, came to God in 2007, April, and um, I've been in Blue Water here since. Uh, my math is better than my memory, so it's 2012. And... Uh, yeah, and so uh, TG asked me to talk about the Holy Spirit retreat, which took place yesterday, and I guess we had 70 people show up. TJ thinks it's a good job. <laughs> to me, it sounds like not everybody showed up. <laughs> yeah? Which is the number one rule for my gym. Uh-huh. And so... Next Holy Spirit retreat, if you don't show up, we're going to send Al <laughs> after you. Yeah, and, and I know where you live. <laughs> so um, there's so much to share but um, number one, I think they did a first-class job without Jordan. Uh, not to say that we're miss, we absolutely miss Jordan. Uh, but I think that we have to give uh, propers for Blue Water as a church for stepping up. Look at, the, look at the level of the speakers for the administration that stood up. And especially to Vern and John for putting on such a first-class job. They did a really great job. And we have so many uh, people yet last this past weekend that were like less than a year old here. And um, so they did a great job of kind of bringing that in and going over the, uh, the basics of it. So real quick overview of what the, that retreat is about is like two days. Friday night is kind of just setting that time aside uh, to get away from the world and to kind of begin the teachings and break into little groups to, to begin working on, on God. And mostly it's to kind of get a distance from the world and back into God's kingdom. And then Saturday's about uh, doing the same thing in the morning and then just preparing the way. The afternoon is a little bit of free time to kind of meditate or have fun together. And then the, the evening is really the opportunity to just, just soak in the Holy Spirit. So um, I think that I got to say it, that I bring a little, little of gravity to the the table because of the way that my faith runs and um, think about the Israelites and what they did wrong their mistakes that cost them 40 years was two stubbornness and forgetfulness right and so for me this is the fifth year and this is my fifth Holy Spirit retreat my first one was really uh, eye-opening for me and really firmed me up in being with Blue Water where I had it was it was more like a one-to-one -one ratio of people praying for us. So I had 15 people pray over me on that day, and uh, which is why I will go to every Holy Spirit that I can get to. This time around was a little, um, not, not quite the same, but it, but it was still good. And, um, but what it did do for me was kind of, um, you know, I, I, I wake up very early and the first thing I do is devotions every day. And um, I gotta admit that my, um, my walk has kind of, not wavered, but it's, it, I was much more fervent when I started. 
and it's a little harder to kind of pursue that regularly. And uh, I really feel if I were to characterize what happened this weekend for me was that I got the rust shaking off my prayers. It made me realize how weak my prayers have become over time. And I think that's, that's what re God really wants for a little bit more of the seasoned believers is that, okay, we've turned and we believe and we're born again, but now what? Now what are you going to do? Like, are we going to fall away or are we going to pursue? Right? So uh, I guess in that message, I want to urge all of you to take advantage of every single opportunity you have to get closer to God through this church. Right? To work in community. I think that was one of the lessons from uh, the small groups here was that we receive gifts from God, but those are not for us to keep. Those are for us to give to the community. And when you give that gift, you get more. Works the same way as love does. So I just encourage all of you in that. Don't take opportunity for granted. Yeah, how far would you go to hear God talk? What price would you pay to have the Holy Spirit infuse you for the first time or to increase? It was 40 bucks, but it was last night. And you don't get any more last nights. So the next time you have an opportunity, jump on it and then pursue. Love you guys. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Uncle Al. Yeah. So I think, I think for many, uh, for some people, it was kind of the first experience. Um, uh, for some people, uh, they were uh, getting renewed, revisiting the teaching, uh, getting refilled. That's what it was for me. Um, just getting refilled. Um, for Al was shaking off the rust, but it's, it's a routine that's uh, good to have. Um, and I just wanted to point out some of the uh, highlights for me. Um, so if we can show the first slide. Um, one, it's easy to be an expert on the Holy Spirit. Uh, one of our values is supernaturalism, so we wanna, we wanna practice that, we wanna push that, uh, we wanna offer that to our congregation. And 70 people gathered, um, you can feel confident uh, that there are more there's, there's more power uh, in the room today. That's, that's awesome. Um, it's easy to be expert because um, actually the verses uh, that talk about the Holy Spirit are, um, are fairly short. And so we received an exhausted list of that and we went through it all, which is really fantastic. Uh, second thing, which was a highlight for me, is that everybody gets in on spiritual gifts and everyone benefits. So if you don't think you have a spiritual gift, uh, you're believing a lie, you do, everybody gets one. Uh, secondly, uh, it's for the common good, you know, it's to build up the church. And we talked about like, uh, you know, if, if you're immature in kind of like your spiritual gift, you might cause disorder. Uh, but maturity is, is, is for order uh, and it's for building the church. So we were all working together for that. Um, and I just cited some of the uh, references that we, um, went over, and I'll, I'll just read one here on, on the order portion. It's uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 26. If you have a Bible, you can read. I, I can read it too, but um, Paul is saying to the church of uh, Corinth, uh, what shall we say then, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done in order so that the church may be built up. So what he's basically saying is that everybody gets a gift, and when you gather, uh, go about it orderly and share it, uh, which was great affirmation for me because that's one thing that we try to 
to do at Blue Water, and one thing we actually try to model here in Simple Church. So you'll see that um, today it's not just one preacher, but it's uh, three people gathering, uh, bringing something that they have. Uh, so that's kind of an ideal model of church for us. When you gather in small groups, everybody would bring an element. Um, uh, typically at church, we have one preacher, um, but every once in a while, every couple of months, we want to do Simple Church to make sure that we are recognizing that everybody is contributing. Uh, so we'll have small group leaders share, we'll have other ministry leaders share, uh, and that's what we're doing today. And finally, the, the last thing that stuck out to, for, for me in the Holy Spirit retreat was uh, from this uh, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 22 through 26. I'll just read it for all of us. Um, uh, on the contrary, so Paul is talking about church like a body, and he's talking about that everybody has uh, a function, and not one is better than the other. He says, on the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put together the body, giving it greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, so that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Um, so I think it's really a call. Uh, yes. It's, it's really a call, one, uh, for our church to recognize we all bring something. We all bring game. But also, let's, um, let's honor the unseen parts. Let's, let's recognize the people that you might not always see. Um, Simple Church gives us a great opportunity to do that. Uh, and today, we have uh, some of the unseen parts of our church. Um, this is Michelle Yip and uh, Julie Olson. They are intercessors in our church. Um, Michelle uh, leads uh, a small band, uh, well, kind of a medium-sized band of prophetic ministers, and her heart really is to train them up in that prophetic ministry, as well as ground them in scripture, because that's really important. Um, and she's also a dedicated intercessor. Julie has been uh, leading a little intercessory prayer team uh, every morning, I don't know, for five years before the church service. Uh, and you just saw her at our last Simple Church on Easter uh, because she is the former uh, head of Seed. So, and she's also on the core team. So, you know, a funny, an uh, interesting thing is that a church should be built on prayer. That's a really important thing. But frankly, when it comes down to it, the people that hold up the church in prayer tend to be fairly few. Um, so I just want to give uh, special props to them. I, I want to, uh, uh, for this simple church, uh, it is in response to the intercessory prayer team. Um, so here we are. Thank you, TJ. Um as you said, this service comes from something that Holy Spirit shared with us a few weeks ago. Um, and for me, it started when we were worshiping at the well. And sometimes in worship, I'm overwhelmed with joy or deep love or awe. Um, 
just based on the person of who God is. But this time, it was different. And when I felt the presence of God come, all of a sudden I felt like I was in like this deep chasm of grief. And it was so overwhelming and so just unsettling. I, I almost couldn't, I couldn't think. And I knew in my mind that this emotion, this grief that I was feeling, wasn't really tied to anything that had happened to me personally. I hadn't gone through anything in my life that would cause that type of grief. So I asked God, I'm like, God, where is this coming from? And the answer that I got back in response was, Michelle, you're in intercessory mode. And as you're worshiping me, that's where you are. And the grief that I was feeling, he told me, was from our family at Blue Water. And this was kind of a hard word for me, so I wanted to confirm it with other intercessors. And so that Sunday, I went to intercessory prayer. Julie's always faithful. I know where I can find her, and it's wonderful. And um, I told her in grace, I said, you know, I, I got this feeling at the, at the um, worship time, and I wanted to check in with you if you've been getting anything along those lines recently. Um, and they had confirmed that there were some things about grief, but they were like, hey, let's pray over this. So the three of us started praying, and all of a sudden, all of us got the exact same picture. And it's not like one person was praying it out, and then the other two were like, okay, now I see it. It's like we all got it at the same time. And when one person said, I see a wall, the rest of us were like, we see a wall, like right now. And specifically, what all three of us saw was um, they call it the Western Wall in Jerusalem. Uh, some people also call it the Wailing Wall. But uh, as a brief background, the Western Wall is one of the last sections of wall that used to surround God's temple uh, before it was destroyed. And Jews from all over the world will travel and they'll go to the Western Wall. And the reason why it, it's received the nickname of the Wailing Wall is because people will grieve there. Um, they'll grieve for the loss of the temple, they'll grieve for their people. It is a place of deep meditation, um, and it's also a place of corporate worship. So this is what we're seeing, and then Julie says, I see people in our church writing down their prayers and their griefs and putting it into the wall, and that was exactly what I had seen as well. And the thing is, I didn't know anything about the Western Wall, but this actually happens. When people go to the wall, they will write down their prayers and their, just their meditations to God, and they will stick it in the wall. So out of this, we started praying, God, um, is this something that you want us to actually do? And we received confirmation, yes, um, that I think it's important for our family, our Blue Water family, that you know we've come out of a very difficult season um, I know that a lot of people have lost loved ones, have lost um, things that are very dear to them. There's been a lot of ministries that have, um, that have ended. And I think that there is this time of, of grief and grieving and God saying, hey, you know, I really want you to release that to me and I want you to be authentic with me about it. And so we said, okay, God, well, then let's try something different. So what you have here today is through our prayers and some dreams about this, um, our version of what we call a grieving wall. And we're not 
exactly trying to say this is not like the Western Wall. We're not trying to bring in um, exactly what the, is, what the Jews are grieving for. But what we wanted to provide was a place for you to have freedom to express grief. And so that's kind of what this service is about. Um, this service, this teaching is in obedience to what I've, we have heard. And we hope that it will bless you. Um, I hope it will give you some freedom uh, to maybe share some things with God that maybe you feel like are too dark or too deep or you can't say it or whatever. Like, that, that's not true. We're here today to give you freedom. I have two portions of the word that I want us to take a look at today. Um, one is the book of Job and the other is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I have a few points that I'd like to draw from the word. Uh, one is that authenticity is key to healthy grief. Um, another thing that I'd like to uh, look at is that the conclusion of a healthy grieving process ends in surrender. And the third thing is that for those of you who maybe don't feel like you're going through a grieving season yourself, but you're ministering to others who are, that empathy and not reasoning is usually key to love those who are grieving. So I want to start out with some scripture, and this is from Job chapter 30. And now my soul is poured out within me. Days of affliction have taken hold of me. The night racks my bones, and the pain that gnaws me takes no rest. With great force, my garment is disfigured. It binds me about like the collar of my tunic. God has cast me into the mire, and I have become like dust and ashes. I cry to you for help, and you do not answer me. I stand, and you only look at me. You have turned cruel to me, and the might of your hand, you persecute me. You lift me up on the wind, you make me ride on it, and you toss me about in the roar of the storm. I think that those are some amazingly deep words from a man who was in a deep place of grief. Job is a profound book. It's difficult to digest for many believers. Um, it deals with a topic that I think a lot of us don't like to talk about, um, and that's where is God in the midst of calamity? Where is he in the midst of our grief? And the book of Job tells a story about a man who was called blameless and upright by God. God himself says this about him. And he becomes this focal point of this struggle between God and Satan. And in the end, Satan like makes a bet saying, hey, I bet you that Job would curse you, God, if all of his um, blessings were taken away from him. And as a result of this, Job suffers immense pain. In a few days, he loses everything. He loses his wealth, he loses all of his children, he loses his physical health. He is brought so low that when three of his friends come to visit him, they just, the Bible says they just sit with him for seven days and seven nights and they don't say a word because his suffering was so great. And this is the background for that very deep, raw passage of scripture that I just read to you. Um, and Job expresses his grief. He expresses his anger towards God. He does not curse God, but he does demand that God give him an answer as to the reason for why he is going through this pain and this suffering. And what I love about the book of Job is just the realness of it. 
Um, this is a story of a man who wrestles with God about great pain and loss. And I think it's so relevant to us today as Christians because honestly, every person in this room is going to face grief. Everyone who loves deeply faces grief, faces loss. And as Christians, we're called to love. You know, we're called to love deeply. We're called to love others. And when you do that, you open yourself up to vulnerability and to grief. So I think that, you know, we all face this at some point in our lives. Some of us are going through it now. Some of us might go through it later. But, you know, it's something that we should always be free to give to God, to express to Him that we don't need to hide anything from, our, from the deepest, darkest places of our soul as we go through this. I think that, you know, the existence of pain and suffering oftentimes leads us to wonder why. Um, for me, it was wondering why my child was born early, why my first days of, as a mother were in an ICU and I had to watch him go through a lot of procedures that were just painful and it wasn't what I wanted as a mother. It wasn't how I wanted that experience to be. Um, I think for some of you it might be why did my father or my child or my sister or my friend, why did they have to die so soon? Why was it like that, God? Why did it have to be that way? And you know, as a person who tries to minister prophetically, I wish I had answers for you. I, I wish I would receive words about that, but that's oftentimes not how God works. And I can't tell you that, those specific whys, but what I do want to share with you is the truth that your expression of grief, your wrestling with God, is not a sign of a lack of faith. I think that's a truth that we need to understand here as a church as we go through times of loss and, and times when we just don't understand why ministries fail. Why is it that when you say you are for us, God, and something doesn't go right, why is that? And, and, and I think that that's what's so freeing about the Bible, is that we can bring that to God. Um, but I also wanted to point out that I, I don't think it ends with authenticity. I think there's more that we go through in this journey. Um, I think one of the most defining moments of my faith was the loss of my grandfather. And I really loved him. He helped raise me. And uh, it was devastating when I lost him to cancer because the biggest thing about that was I never heard him profess faith in Christ or God. And so when he died, I was confronted with this moment of, oh my God, I don't know if I'm ever going to see him again. And that was just devastating for me. It was, it was devastating. And I spent weeks and months just crying out to God about this. I'm like, God, don't you say that you love everyone in the world? Don't you say that there's none that you would want to perish? So why did this happen? And um, it came to a crisis point, it came to this head where one night I was lying on my bed and I was like, maybe I don't believe in you anymore. Maybe I just don't believe that you exist. You're not, maybe you're not who you say you are. And yet, when I finally got to that point where I was willing to ask that question, all of a sudden, I just started thinking of the planets and nature and the complexity of human life and all of those things. And I realized, I was like, I can't do it. I just can't say I don't believe in you because I don't feel like I want to believe in you. And I came to that moment, I call this my Job moment, where it was like God is still God 
no matter what I go through. And I call this a Job moment because um, Job himself also went through a moment like this in the midst of his grief. You know, for chapter after chapter, he pours out his loss and his anger. And he's like, God, will you answer me? And God comes and he answers him. But it's not the answer that Job had thought he would get. Instead, what God gives him is just three or four amazing chapters of just who he is and the complexity of everything that's happening in creation and just the complexity of the mind of God. And God says that to Job and there's like this pause in my mind in the book of Job. And it's almost like God sitting back and saying, Job, is that enough? Am I enough? And Job in that response, in that moment, it's so beautiful because he says, yes, God, you are more than enough. I do not understand why I'm going through this suffering and this pain, but you, I trust that you are enough in all of that. And that's what I call the point of surrender. And it takes a process. You don't get there overnight. You don't lose someone dear to you and the next day wake up and say, okay, God, you're enough. You know, I, I think you need to work through the anger and the sorrow. You need to identify what are the questions that you have for God? What are the specific things that you feel like you've lost? Because it's only when you have that deep conversation. It's only when you have the 30 chapters of Job before the end that you can get to a point where you can realize who God is and if that's enough for you in that place of grief. So I want you to, I want to encourage you to, first of all, go ahead and take a step in this process, releasing everything that you feel in the midst of grief. But at the same time, I want you to wrestle with that question of God, are you enough? And be honest with yourself. And, and go through that process. And it's going, to be, it's going to be okay. The second thing I wanted to um, talk about very quickly is for those of you who might not personally be going through something yourself right now, how do, there might be this question of how do I minister to those who are grieving? I don't think that the world and sometimes the church, I don't think we do this very well. I think sometimes we try to rationalize things, right? We try to provide reasons as for why pain and suffering happen. Um, but if you look at scripture, I, I think it's so interesting that Jesus, in his moment of great sorrow, his moment of great wrestling, what he does is he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and he asks for three of his closest friends to go with him. And he says, can you just be with me? Can you pray? Just be with me and pray. And he goes to pray, and that's where Jesus himself comes to his surrender moment. And he says, God, not my will, but yours be done. And he goes back, and the disciples are asleep. And it's kind of a little sad, because I feel like this is his moment of great need, of great want for companionship. And they can't really stay awake. They're just so tired. But I think it, it speaks a lot about you know like what is it that people are seeking in the midst of their grief you can also see this in the book of job job has these three friends and a lot of the book is them arguing with him about you must have done something wrong for you to have experienced all this great pain 
that's kind of the last thing you want to say to a person who's in the midst of a grieving process. And, you know, God has a lot of choice words to say about the three friends at the end. But again, you know, it probably would have been better. And Job himself says this. He's like, better that you remain silent. Just be with me in the midst of this, guys. And so I want to encourage you to minister to those who are grieving, whether it's a hug, whether it's just crying with them, um, whether it's just being, and to resist the want, you know, like to try to rationalize things. Um, be prayerful. I'm not saying don't, you know, like speak words over a person who's going through a difficult process. And if God gives you something, that's great. But I think we just need to be a little bit careful and understand that presence and being an empathy is probably more important than, you know, rationalization and trying to reason through it. So I want to give time over to Julie, who I think has an amazing and powerful testimony about this process. And take it away. Thank you. Thanks. Um, there is a core of leaders at Blue Water that meet every other Tuesday and kind of plan the service. And so when uh, we talked about what some of the intercessors had seen, uh, some of us were a little concerned because grief is a really uh, deep and gnarly thing. And to just cover it in one Sunday didn't feel like, some of us were concerned whether that would be enough. Uh, but we decided to go for it anyway because we, we know that God has been at work because he's asked us to do this. So um, just encouraging us to, okay, louder. Um, pay attention maybe right now to if something gets sparked up. Uh, so I'm here to share my story with grief. It's kind of raw, and uh, so bear with me, but I, I feel like I'm supposed to do this, and the Lord's been downloading some stuff to me about it. So my hope is that it will maybe open something up for you, uh, encourage you in some way. So I think we, we touched on this. Grieving is a process, and it does take a long time. Uh, and I think most things in our society uh, encourage us not to, not to touch it, not to mess with it, but just to run a distraction or um, kind of box it up and leave it somewhere. Uh, and what I know is that we, if we don't allow ourselves to go through the steps of it, we can get stuck. And Steve, if you were here last week, touched on that with um, spiritual, the spiritual realm, that if we are stuck and there's trash, it can bring an opportunity for rats to come and feed on it and mess with us in that. And I know and love people who have gone through terrible loss and they got stuck and it, it altered their life and handicapped them and caused a world of pain. Uh, so when grief hit me, uh, I decided that I was gonna let myself feel every awful bit of it. Um, at Easter, I touched on this that I, uh, my husband decided he didn't wanna be married and so that, I'm going to share a little bit about that story because I think it's really illustrative of the pieces of grief that are so important and how God can come into those things and, and flip them for us and teach us things about him and who he is. Uh, so when this loss hit me, it leveled me uh, completely. And uh, I'd been married 20 years, and my husband decided he didn't want to be married and I had a seven-year-old boy at that point, and we were pastoring a church, and we had a um, coffee house, live entertainment, private event venue, similar to Seed, uh, but not a restaurant. Uh, and, and it just, 
it just leveled me. Uh, but I did not, I, I wanted to not carry it into my future. Like there was something in my spirit that knew like this is going to be a long, nasty, messy thing, but I'm going to go through it because I, I don't want to carry it into my future. I want to do this well. So there's stages of grief. Um, a book was written in the late 60s about it, the five stages of grief, and they're pretty, pretty right on. So I'm just going to share like each one. And let me just say that they're not linear. So sometimes anger like blasts you, and then sadness hits like a freight train. And then maybe anger comes back because you can't be sad anymore. So there's stages, and they're not linear, but I'll just share. So anger was the one I really liked the most because I could like rip him a new one, and it was justified. And my friends, you know, could, and my, my dad, my dad, man, he was my biggest champion for this SOB that did this to me, you know? Um, and, and that was, I felt powerful. Like, I felt power in the anger. Uh, but it was only for a time. Because it, when I got, what people, when we get stuck in anger, the, what happens is bitterness sets in. Because we just, we work it, and we work it, and we work it. And it would have been easy for me to get really bitter at this man. Uh, but I, I did not want to do that. So the anger drove me to forgiveness. And I had to forgive him. And I, that was nasty process. Like, took me forever to get there. A uh, long time, a lot of months, a lot of journaling, a lot of just, just talking it through and putting it out there. Uh, so that was the easy part. Uh, and then sadness came. And this was probably the worst part. Uh, and generally, I think underneath anger is sadness. I think, you know, I got a degree in psychology and I <laughs> ministered to a lot of people. I think uh, generally underneath anger, you'll find sadness pretty much every time. And most of us don't like to go there, so it's understandable, but necessary. So the thing about sadness is that it, like, threatened to pull me under. And I, there were times where I was so sure that I should be able to die from how bad this hurt. Like, I, I should have, it should have just been, it should have leveled me completely. Uh, but I decided to let it roll through my soul and deal with it and let God go deep in it. And it, literally, the, there were times where the wrestling hurt physically, like I couldn't eat. And I got really skinny and scary skinny, but I, every time I ate, I felt sick. So I would make myself eat, because I knew I you know, couldn't survive without food. But it, you know, there was this physical component to it that was crazy. And then the tears. Like, I could not believe my capacity for how much fluid could flow out of my eyeballs. I mean, it was just crazy. Um, and I, I didn't work for about a year, thankfully. My ex-husband um, supported me financially. So I would go and find beaches that had shade trees, and I'd sit down in my chair, and I'd bring my journal, and I would cry until I couldn't cry anymore, and then I'd fall asleep so exhausted. And then I'd wake up like three hours later, like, oh my gosh, where am I? You know, I'd be at the beach. But these deep sleeps. And that was like healing. Those pieces were healing for me as I let myself, let that roll through me. Um, I'd visited, I had just moved here, uh, and, and three months later was when I separated. So I didn't know anybody. And I didn't have a church, so I visited a bunch of churches, and I would sit in the back and weep, and most people would, like, wide berth around me. A few brave ones came up and spoke words of kindness. One church I went to, I beeline out at the end because I just didn't want to, you know, face anybody, and this, this kid followed me out, and he goes, do you mind if I sit in your car for a minute? I, I feel like God has something for you. 
and I'd never met him. And he, like, knew, the Lord spoke to him about what I was going through, like, specifics. And he just rolled out all this grace on me, just this unfiltered love of God on me, this perfect stranger. Told me I was worthy, told me I wasn't a piece of trash worthy of throwing away. You know, just all this, like, really specific stuff. Boom, like a piece of healing in that sadness. Uh, and then I got a text from Harry Reynolds, who had church planted with Jordan and Sonia like 25 years ago in Northern California. He's like, you got to check out this blue water thing. I don't know what it is. So I Googled, found you guys, and, and I walked in, and Eunice was leading worship. And that sweet aroma, you know, that comes out. And I knew I was home. So I dragged my butt in here week after week. And I had interviewed for a job right across the lawn at Aloha Medical Mission. So a month later, I got that job. And the day that I started, I got the email from Joseph that he wanted a divorce. And I read it at lunchtime, and I just have no idea how I made it through that day. But the only thing I kept thinking is, Jordan better be in his office after work. Jordan better be in his office after work. Five o'clock, I, I went over there, and he was there. And over the next year, I went into his office probably every week. You were always there. You were, oh, man, here she comes again, that sad woman. <laughs> I don't know what you were thinking, but I'm sure I just look like a mop. Um, Wet. I, I was there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I, Jordan has such game on going through grief, and I think it's because he's been through a lot himself, and he knew how to do it. And I raged on his couch. I told God to fuck off. I wrestled with God with him, and he took every nasty thing that came up out of me. Sorry, F word, but it's just like, um, and, and I love that, because he, I could go and, and strip down to the bare bones of this and say, God, what the hell could you be thinking? Like, how could you pull the rug out from under me like this? But what I, I needed to know was that God was good, and that was threatened in this. And, I, and I, if I lost that, I, I don't know what I would have done. So I'm uh, so thankful that Jordan did that with me. And I went to small group, and I sat there every week and usually just, you know, wet mop rolling in. And people, like, there, were, there was not a Job's friend in this body. And I love that. Like, you guys were amazing. I can look across this crowd and see people all over that let me roll through the sadness and be the raging lunatic and, and all those pieces. And you guys just loved on me. And so, the, and the prayer line, like, when I, a lot of weeks I didn't want to go over there. I'm like, here I come again, you guys, you know, because I'm sure they were sick of me rolling up over there, you know. But they were always just giving me those pieces of, of um, truth and about me and who I was. Because what came into question for me was, was I lovable? How could the man that I gave my heart to just throw it away like that? So that was another thing I had to wrestle through. So there's just pieces of it that had to be opened up. And, and God came in and healed them along the way. So they're not, like, in there. And I got this picture this morning of, uh, like, have you ever had a cut and maybe it got a little gravel in there and then it healed over? Every time you touch that sucker, it hurts. And so you got to open it up. you got to clean it out. And it's got to be a clean wound so that it can heal well. That's kind of, yeah. I'm not crying as much as I thought I would. That's good. <laughs> So then another piece of grief is denial and bargaining. So the bargaining was kind of, I, I, in the midst of this, I, I couldn't sleep, which I thought was like a really cruel addition to this process because like I, I should just be able to sleep. But so midnight, one o'clock was usually like my late, my wide awake hour. So I walked 
and I would walk. And in those walks, I'd bargain with God. God, if you bring him back to me, I will fill in the blank. I came up with every single thing I could come up with that would cause this to him to come back to me. And I wore out two pairs of running shoes. Uh, I walked and walked and walked. And I remember where I was. I can remember the yard I was in front of on my route when God spoke to me and said, you have to let him go. I was like, okay. That was my moment of surrender. Like, okay, okay. And I had to do that because I couldn't move forward because God knew that he wasn't going to come back to me. And it took me like probably two years. It was two years of all of this. And that's a long time. Uh, But surrender was indeed necessary. And there's still times where, like, another piece of it is numbness or denial. Like, that couldn't possibly happen. You cannot possibly, this can't possibly be happening. And I still get that sometimes today. Uh, And it mostly is connected to my son. Because my mama bear, fierce, want to protect this boy, furious at him for doing this to our kid. Like, that's probably been the hardest one in the forgiveness area. And I had to do that last week. That's still a process for me of forgiving that guy, this man, for that. And so it's a process, and it's still, it, it's not as painful, though. And, and I remember one morning, I walked in here, and uh, Monica, who is this lovely, beautiful German woman intercessor, um, got to know her. She walked through a lot of this with me. She looked at me, and she said, Julie, the mantle of sadness is off you. And I'm like, you're right. <laughs> like, it, there was a marked shift at some point. And a lot of it was that I got to acceptance. I got to acceptance of what had happened. I got through that forgiveness. I got through the anger. You know, all those pieces brought me to this place where I, I'm, I'm okay. You know, I'm, I'm through it. I celebrated five years. Uh, my divorce was final five years ago last week. And I didn't even remember the day. Like, it was really cool. I realized this week, I was like, oh, the divorcery went by and I didn't even notice right on. Um, And I really honestly think that it was more painful for God than for me. I really do. And that piece of knowing God's heart that way um, helps a lot. What I know is that every one of us will experience loss that rips the life out from under, the rug out from under our souls. Every one of us. And I really think, and I, I think that if we learn how to do it well, then we will be able to minister it well. And if we don't know how to do grief well, it's going to be really tough for us to minister alongside people well who need to. And I've uh, encountered some more losses more recently. Uh, and and I, I still at times feel like I don't really understand why that happened. Like, there was so much damage from it. I don't see, like, the goodness of it or the redemptive pieces of it. It's still been really hard for me to see until recently. And as I, um, I lost my dad a little over a year ago, and I sat by his bedside day after day, and nothing else in life mattered. Every single thing was stripped away, and I was just with him. And I got to share with him all the beautiful amazing things that he had sown into me and the love he'd given me. And, and I feel like some of that came from my honesty and the grief through my divorce. Like I learned some skills there that are working for me now with this. 
Uh, and then with seed. Seed has been a terrible loss for me. Uh, and I've been grieving. I've been grieving hard on it. And I've been raging and shaking my fists and questioning why. Bribing, denying, all those things, walking through, but it's familiar. And so it's surprisingly not been as devastating to me as I thought it would be when I went into it, because I was really reluctant to go into seed because I lost so much in the last endeavor that I'd done like that. I lost my marriage, and we lost our coffee house and the church plant and all that. So coming into seed, I really thought, man, Lord, if this one doesn't make it, I don't know, it's going to be bad for me, for us. Uh, but I'm, I'm seeing the redemptiveness of walking through grief before, and it's helping me walk through this. And, and I have this community around me that is loving me and knows how to do this with me. Uh, otherwise, I could, would not be able to do it. So if we will allow ourselves the courage and the balls to really honestly, nakedly experience and deal with the shitty mess that life deals us sometimes, God can meet us in it. He will speak to us in it. He will heal us in it. He will prevent us from getting stuck in the anger that leads to a bitter soul. Have you been around bitter people? Oof. It's tough, or the sadness that threatens to leave us desolate or unlovable, or the denial or the bargaining that can result in trying to manipulate or control others so we don't get hurt again, or the shame, that's my go-to, shame, feeling like it's my fault, feeling like I failed again, I screwed this up again, threatens to level me, not, not try again. And I want to be someone who can go through this with others. So today, at the end here, we have, um, you all received a yellow ribbon and a pen. Uh, and I just want to speak to a few things that I've sensed that God has put on my heart uh, that some of us may be dealing with. So if that's you and you feel this stirring, like if you're not familiar with this and you just kind of feel this, ugh, or you still feel a tenderness there, God wants to go into that, and he wants you to deal and he wants you to, to um, be willing to maybe open that up. And we're going to be preaching on love over the, this next season, and I think it's really appropriate that we kind of, if grief is happening, now we're going to start talking about love and how that's going to move into it. So I, 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 I love this. Um, so I, I'm thinking there's probably uh, some of you who've been through divorce, and it's still painful, or you know people that have. That's probably going to be everybody in the room. Uh, Some of us has, have lost someone that we love. There have been a lot of people that have lost loved ones this year. Some of us have experienced the loss of a job or a ministry or a dream that you gave your guts to and it didn't work out. Maybe we're struggling with depression or shame and we can't, we can't like identify the root of it. It might be in someplace you're stuck. Maybe we struggle with not eating or eating too much or not sleeping. There's some root there that God wants to speak into that has to do with loss. And maybe you've learned to do this well, and perhaps God's putting somebody on your heart. Because I've been praying. I had a little prep time, so I've, 
um, on what I want to write on my ribbon. Uh, and, and I have a friend, and many of you know her. She's a captain in a, um, a, non a YWAM ships ministry. And a year, a little over a year ago, she was sailing a vessel that capsized, and she had five young people on board and lost one of them. And the grief on that is gnarly. And I haven't been able to be around her much, but I'm going to Colorado next week to the mountains with her for a week. So on my ribbon, I'm going to be with Anne and her loss, and I'm going to um, open my heart up and try and minister to her as best I can in that. So that's my ribbon. So we're going to move into a time now, and I think we'll invite you to spend a few minutes um, silent and just pray. I'm going to pray for you and then ask you to pray and ask the Lord to uh, let you know. If you need a ribbon, uh, Craig's got some over there, so raise your hand. He'll bring you one if you didn't get a bulletin. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you that uh, we have Job and Jesus, what you went through, that you've given us these really honest examples of people who have wrestled with you. Thank you that you've uh, given us a way to walk through grief that is redemptive, that can be um, healed and that doesn't have to debilitate us forever. So we invite you now, Holy Spirit, to move over this body. Move over us, Lord, and speak to us in the areas where we're still tender and where we need you to move in. Pray with me. Oh, Father, uh, we want to be a church that is not afraid. We want to be a church that's filled with faith. Uh, Lord, we are not afraid uh, to express uh, our hearts to you. Teach us to honor the unseen parts of us, Lord, uh, and to rejoice um, knowing that you are more than enough. In Jesus' name, amen.